0: You're listening to a Roddenberry
1: podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon.
2: Join today at patreon.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector, who invite you to build the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, an incredibly detailed die-cast metal replica that you actually build yourself. Subscribe today. Only four ninety five for your first two model kits and two free collector pins, plus free shipping. When you go to herocollector dot com slash star trek build up slash mission log.
0: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode three hundred ninety three, Resurrection.
2: Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we beam ourselves
1: into an episode of Star Trek to poke around for a while, see who's there, and look around
2: for a lesson or two that we can take back to our own world. This week, Resurrection. The one where a character who is long gone is resurrected. Kind of. Uh, not really. Uh, but real enough, look, it's not k That's That's all I'm going to say. And we'll break it all down for you in a moment. But first, I'm going to tell
1: you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log is a conversation about the stories of Star Trek. So that's why we want to hear from you. Use Mission Log Pod to give us a like and a share on Facebook and Twitter. If you're so inclined, give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can call us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by dialing 323 Five six four one. Send us an email at missionlog at roddenberry dot com, and remember, we may use your comments
2: on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Hey, I promise we'll get to trivia in a moment, but this is a late-breaking uh, insert into the show. Norman, I'm excited about this. I know that our friends who listen will be excited about this. You have heard us talk about our love of tiny starships from Eagle Moss, but believe me it's going to be time to make a little room in your home for this (laughs) because there's something up from Eagle Moss. Yeah, there is big news breaking right
1: now, John. You're absolutely right. And we do love talking about those tiny starships. But with this big news, talking about tiny starships is kind of like saying jumbo shrimp. There is a little (laughs) bit of a difference here. And the big news is that, well, let me back up for a second. Regular listeners to Mission Log already knows that Eagle Moss Hero Collector... Uh, They know them from their many officially authorized collections of Star Trek starships that you've probably already collected, that they're featured in everything from the original series to Star Trek Discovery and beyond. But now, now you have the chance to build the ultimate Star Trek starship and have the ultimate experience. It can be yours once you accept this invitation to build the USS Enterprise NCC-1701-D. I
2: I mean, yeah, we're talking about building the Enterprise, and we'll get into the details here in just a second, but you're absolutely right, and uh, you know the score, and people listening know what we're talking about when we say that these are officially authorized ships by CBS Studios. This is an incredibly detailed die-cast metal replica of, well, Jean-Luc Picard's Enterprise D. It is the Galaxy-class starship originally introduced in Star Trek The Next Generation, and you build it yourself part by part in intimate detail section by section. And I love this. It's easy to build. All the parts are pre-painted. The decals are already in place. You just clip or screw them together. No glue and no tools more complicated than a screwdriver, which is great for me because I cannot be trusted with anything more complicated than a screwdriver. Once you finish Get this, your Enterprise D will span 27 and a half inches long and nearly 20 inches wide. It's a little over 19 and a half inches wide. Norman, have you been to the website. You've seen this thing, right? Oh, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal because you actually get
1: to put it yourself, put it together yourself, and get to understand, I guess, from the ground up,
2: The intricacies of the NCC-1701D. Exactly. Now, this is based on careful study of all three studio models, because, yes, there were three used during production of the series. Uh, And I I love that they've gone the extra step here. The model has been designed so the saucer and star drive sections can separate, and it's got working lights and all the exterior details that you'd expect, like phaser strips and the transporter emitters and antimatter loading hatches, even the captain's yacht. That's phenomenal, because you've always wanted to see the captain's yacht
1: detach, and now you can make it happen for yourself. There is literally nothing else quite like it, both the captain's yacht and this particular <laughs> product, and it's available only from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. Now, all of this and more starts at the special introductory price of only four ninety five. For your first two model kits with a step-by-step assembly magazine and two, count them, two free collector's pins plus free shipping when you go to www.herocollector.com slash Star Trek buildup slash mission log. Then approximately every other month, you'll receive four new model kits delivered directly to your door for only $12.90 plus $2.45 shipping per kit.
2: Oh, and once you sign up for your buildup, you'll be eligible to receive a number of exclusive free gifts over the course of your subscription, a value of over $100. And the best part of all, your subscription is risk-free. There's no minimum number of model kits to purchase, and you can cancel your subscription at any time. But why would you? Because you're going to go nuts when you see this thing. Full details can be found at herocollector.com Star Trek build slash mission log. That link will be in the show notes, so check it out. And what else is there to say but make it so. And now it is time to hit that red button
1: On the multi-dimensional interface so that john champion can bring trivia to us from all sections of the multiverse
2: well wow well here we go norman trivia for this week's episode resurrection the story was written by michael taylor now michael's first professional writing credit in tv you may or may not recall was the visitor right here on ds9 he does a total of four episodes on this series, but he jumps over to Voyager to write a full 20 episodes over there, and then he found himself working for Ronald D. Moore again on Battlestar Galactica. And yes, look, Michael gets the sole credit here, story and teleplay, but realistically Ira Steven Bear and Hans Beimler did heavy rewrites on this script. It was directed by LeVar Burton. He just keeps cranking out those director credits, but we are coming up toward the end of his time on DS9. LeVar directed 10 episodes on this series. This one is number nine. From here, he will go on to direct Voyager and Enterprise episodes and so much more. And remember, he had just started his directing career on Next Gen. There's not a heavy amount of trivia here for this episode because well you should all know the deal by now after you shoot a bunch of big budget epic stories with a lot of guest stars you need to reel it in and you do a bottle show keep all the action on your existing sets. you trim down the guest star budget you have minimal effects and here you go well let's talk about those guest stars We have a Bajoran security guard played by Scott Strozier, who shows up quite a bit in small and background roles on DS9 and Voyager. And you may remember having seen him on the big screen in Star Trek First Contact, where he was a Starfleet security officer who is assimilated by the Borg. We have John Towey as the Bajoran Vedic Osan, and he's got some recurring and guest credits in TV. But like a lot of DS9 actors, he's somebody with a big career in live performance as an actor and as a professional pianist. And finally, Beryl. Well, here we are. We thought we'd seen the last of Vedic Beryl after his death and life support. He's back, uh, kind of... This is the Beryl from the Mirror Universe, and this, we can definitely say, is the final appearance of Philip Anglum in Deep Space Nine, and his final appearance in Star Trek. And honestly, he only has one more TV credit after this episode of DS9 aired, and that was the very next year, 1998, when he appeared in Dallas, War of the Ewings.
0: Every time a Star Trek character has returned from the dead, things have gone just fine. I expect this to be no different.
1: Prologue In a turbo lift heading to Ops, Dax is doing her level best to find a dinner date for Major Kira. However, Kira just seems to be universally uninterested in dating anyone at the moment. Captain Baudet's transparent skull and Dr. Tragtok's middle eye notwithstanding. Dax suggests perhaps Odo, and Kira curtly retorts that neither she nor Odo are remotely ready for that. Kira finally insists that she'll be coming to dinner alone. Shortly after, Kira and Dax settle into ops, and Chief O'Brien detects an unusual transporter signal, and a moment later, a huddled man materializes on the ops transporter pad. Kira approaches the stranger to offer assistance. He wheels around with a Bajoran Disruptor in hand, now trained on Major Kira. But even more shocking to Kira is that this stranger is the mirror, mirror image of Vedic Barail. Act 1. With his Disruptor in one hand and using Major Kira as a Bajoran shield in the other, Barail demands to have a fast ship ready to escape the station. Captain Sisko alerts Odo of the hostage situation and directs Barail to landing pad A. Avoiding the turbo lips as a precaution, Burail has seemingly planned for every contingency, pausing only briefly to also steal the Major's Kava roll, because you can't terrorize a space station on an empty stomach. As they make their way to landing Pad A on foot, Burail admits to Kira that he is from that other universe and is on the run from the Alliance. After ascending 57 levels of rungs and finally reaching the launch pad, Kira drops the damsel-in-distress ruse and confesses to Beryl that she's known his weapon threats are empty ever since she noticed the Disruptor was damaged back in Ops. After Kira subdues the Pretender, Odo emerges from the airlock, remarks the resemblance to Vedic Beryl is striking, and puts him in the cleanest interrogation chamber Beryl has ever seen. He confesses to crossing over using a multi-dimensional transporter device given to him by a close friend, and is now in Kira's custody. He asks Kira if he can meet himself, the barial antos of this universe, and she informs him that her barial is dead. This pretender deduces that she cared about him very much and asks a favor of her, to destroy the device so that he can stay in this universe no matter the cost. Later in his office, Captain Sisko sympathizes with Kira and truly knows how she feels about meeting this alternate universe barial. Sisko reminds Kira how he felt when he met the alternate universe Jennifer several years ago and how strong and dangerous that connection can be. Kira reassures Sisko that she knows to be wary of this pretender and will keep her distance. Act 2. With the charges against him dropped, Barail freely walks the promenade, only to be met with countless stares from all around him. As he reunites with Major Kira on her way to the Bajoran Temple, He thanks her for his second chance, but is uneasy about all the attention that he's receiving. She tells him that Vedic Barail was a man of great popularity amongst her people. Kira invites him inside to worship, but he declines and goes about his way. Later in the middle of the ceremony, Barail kneels next to Kira and confesses that perhaps his new lease on life needs all the help it can get, spiritually or otherwise, and perhaps the prophets are a good starting point for him. After worship, Beryl isn't completely won over, but Kira has definitely taken an interest in his journey, and instead of letting him drift away, she invites him to dinner with Worf and Dax. As dinner winds down, Dax and Kira are riveted by Beryl's story about how he outwitted a Klingon guard by stealing the guard's mechleth during the escape. Worf rolls his eyes in disbelief, citing that no Klingon would ever let that happen, until Beryl brandishes Worf's very own mechleth to cut and quarter the dessert that Dax just placed in front of them. Impressed, Worf is honor-bound to offer Boral more blood wine. After dinner, Boral escorts Kira to her quarters, reminding her how fortunate she is to have such good friends. She tells Boral that her friends enjoyed his company as well, which gives him pause. Kira asks about his close friends from his universe, of which he admitted to having one who died a long time ago. Trying to salvage the evening from a somber note, Kira invites Boral inside for Ractigino, and he tells her all about Ilvia the one special person he had in his life, his literal partner in crime, who meant the world to him until a drunken Cardassian's disruptor accidentally killed her. Caught up in the moment of such emotional vulnerability between each other, Kira and Beryl kiss. Act 3. It appears that after an evening of conversation, and perhaps even more, can stimulate one's appetite the following morning as Beryl snacks on Bajoran Alvis while Kira wakes. He remarks that this experience must be confusing for her, being a man who looks exactly like the Barile she once loved. But she reminds him that it's the stark differences that make the two Bariles so different. Kira, however, is surprised somewhat when Barile finishes one of his counterparts' more famous quotes. Meanwhile in Ops, Julian pays Dax a rather irregular visit to requisition medical supplies as she calls him out for visiting with the sole purpose of catching up on the gossip du jour on Kira's evening with Barile. However, with the occasional coy expression shared only with Dax, Kara is incredibly evasive about what may or may not have happened, but does let Dax know that she is meeting with Beryl later in the temple to support his newfound spirituality and his very first orb experience. Impatiently pacing back and forth in the temple, Beryl is becoming increasingly nervous waiting for Vedic Asan to arrive and begin his orb experience. Kara is there with encouragement and support and describes the orb as something that is an experience, not an execution. Once the Vedic arrives, Beryl is escorted to kneel in front of it, while carefully observing the Vedic enter the codes to lower the force field protecting the orb. And once lowered, Beryl is exposed to its full power, of which he is at a loss to describe, even to Kira, who later in the Reblemat encourages him to rest and keep his orb experience private, allowing the full effect of what the orb revealed to fully settle. However, there's no rest for the wicked, for as soon as Beryl enters his quarters and rests in a reclining chair, a very familiar voice and figure steps out from hiding. It is the Intendant, the Kira Nariz of the alternate universe, who greets Beryl with a longing kiss and wants to know if their plan is progressing as scheduled. Act 4. The Intendant's early arrival has somewhat unnerved Barile, who is emotionally unprepared to receive her at this delicate stage in his and Kira's relationship. Behaving strangely and off-putting to her, Beryl admits how deeply he feels towards Kira, enraging the Intendant. But her anger subsides as she refocuses on her mission, for Beryl to steal the Orb of Prophecy and Change, and for both of them to return to their time with the Orb, in order to unite the Bajoran people of their universe against the Alliance, underneath the leadership of the new Vedic Beryl Antos. Later in Quark's Bar. Beryl is deep in equal parts drinking and thinking, as he snaps at the gawking onlookers. However, Quark, realizing the irony of Beryl's situation, tries to turn it to their mutual advantage. With a well-designed robe and a little cleaning up, they could resurrect Vedic Beryl, who anyone can meet, for a fee, of course. This Beryl is, however, disgusted with Quark's proposition, because he realizes that the nasty, greedy little minds, willing to do whatever it takes to make money... Well, he's one of them, too. After his business meeting of sorts with Beryl, Quark pays Kira a visit to pick up a shipment of Sorian Brandy, but also to tell her that he likes Kira and Beryl together, even though he's not the type she's usually interested in. Quark tells Kira that Beryl seems tormented, which Kira dismisses and chalks his behavior up to just having it encountered his first orb experience. Perhaps Kira is right. And perhaps Quark is seeing something that isn't there. Aside from seeing Boreal earlier, spending hours in the temple shrine with a thief's intent of trying to steal something very, very valuable. When Boreal returns to his quarters, he finds the intendant wearing Kira's duty uniform, making her indistinguishable from the real major. Handing her a Bajoran combadge badge to complete the illusion, it is apparent that Boreal is conflicted, but the intendant is ready for the final phase of their plan. Act Five. Beryl and the Intendant go their separate ways and initiate the final phase of their master plan to steal the orb. Beryl returns to the Temple Shrine to pick the proverbial lock and deactivate the orb's security force field. The Intendant, however, encounters mildly brief resistance as a security guard fell under the seductive prowess of who he believed as Major Kira, until he was knocked unconscious. Using the multidimensional device to ready the transporter for Beryl and her prize, the Intendant prepares for their arrival. Back in the temple, Beryl is all but finished and is ready to abscond with the orb until he's interrupted by the sound of Kira's voice, who at first he mistook for the impatient Intendant. But it is the real Kira, who, thanks to Quark's warning, intends to stop Beryl from stealing the orb. And in the midst of trying to make sense of Beryl's motives and betrayal, the Intendant arrives, with Disruptor in hand, and monologues the entirety of her plan, including using Beryl to unbalance Kira emotionally. However, believing that there was something real and more honest between them, Kira reaches out to Beryl one last time, hoping to find that connection between them. And she did, as Beryl stuns the Intendant, knowing full well that one day, and soon, he will have to face her wrath for this. Beryl admits that he did see a future with Kira in his orb vision, a full life filled with joy and family. But he knows that somewhere down the line, he would ruin that, and not just for himself— but for Kira as well. And she doesn't deserve that. But Ryle knows that he belongs with the Intendant. His universe is Kira. And with that, he uses the multidimensional device and beams both of them back from whence they came. The End
2: Oh man, right at the beginning, this is the kind of running gag that I love in DS9. Something like Captain Boudet with his transparent skull. I want to see this guy. Somebody needs to draw it, design it, and cosplay it. Well, that cosplay would be amazing.
1: (laughs) It's almost kind of having one of the uh, Triskelion brains Mm. in a glass jar, like walking around. Right. Yeah. That'd be super cool. love that. I mean, you would think he'd be somewhere on the station, just like walking around, and all of a sudden, he'd like walk by Quark's and say, hey, there's Captain Right. You just see kind of like a a disembodied, not disembodied, but a brain.
2: Yeah. You just catch a glimpse of it. I would love that.
1: You know what I love? I love wharf when wharf is used exactly the way wharf needs to be used. I love it when when Kira and Dax are gossiping, are talking about men, and they walk by, and she says, "You know, tell wharf something." And he goes, "Tell me what?" Yeah, th- that's <laughs>
2: that's wharf. That's the wharf we need. Yes. Mm -hmm. So good. Let's see. Oh, and and I I do like the the little gambit of getting Kira and Barile to the landing platform for for so many steps, 57 uh, levels. They have to go up uh, via stairs, we assume. And, And of course, at this point, we assume that Cisco and Odo are going to have some kind of code words to get Odo up there you know that's why not
1: 47 steps
2: John, I know uh, unless, see I thought, thought about know, that and somebody on staff was like no that's just too many 47s I guess although I guess if you do the math then you know so, so you'd have 57 they have to go down from ops they have to go out to one of the rings to go up 57 levels but then you have the same number of levels down as well so you got 114 levels from top to bottom have you been reading the technical manual? no i, I, I just thought about manual. it. I was just <laughs> thinking about the model back there and going like wow that that's fifty seven le- levels up to get to that top yeah it's it's a big station that's all I'm saying big big station. I kind of wish
1: when he hit you know reached the top he like like Kara was like spry and springy, but he was like just covered with yeah, sweat just, and said, oh, <laughs> is it really worth it uh, right, right. <laughs> you know it's funny though when when is being taken hostage mm-hmm. Her body language uh, speaks like really hostage, come on now yeah she's like she's not even like struggling, she's like, oh, this is just unreal, which kind of like leads to the whole there's something else going on like she's not she's not trying to escape she's not trying to subdue him, she's not trying anything really because she knows that all of it's just a farce right, right, and uh, I was a little concerned about you know Mr. Grabby hands there because he was he was being a little
2: familiar, yeah, you know
1: with with uh, Nana,
2: yeah. Well, I, and that that's the interesting part about any of this. To to find the interesting parts in there, which is okay. You have our prime universe Kira, who was in love with the real Barile and then you've got mirror universe Barile who has this interesting relationship with Intendant Kira. So there there already is a bond. But these are not the same people. That that to me is the most interesting thing to play with, is just like the assumption and the confusion that comes from that bond. But, you know, we'll we'll save that for later.
1: But he didn't seem confused. That's the thing. Like, he didn't turn around and just take her hostage because she's the first person that approached him. Yeah. It just seemed, I don't know. I'll get to that later, yeah, I yeah, guess, yeah. too. You know what's funny, though, that he stopped to grab her kava roll. <laughs> And I used to actually drink an instant coffee called coffee. Oh, buddy. Which makes it literally the perfect coffee roll with Ractigino. Yes, yeah. I thought it was, I I don't know, maybe one of the writers also was a fan of that instant coffee as well.
2: May very well have been. And and I do like Burial's sort of summary. It's funny. It's almost like it's an inside thing. It's a wink to the audience. It's sort of a wink to the whole concept. Uh, Just in terms of thinking about alternate universes, like everything's the same but different, right? Uh, yes, yes, alternate burial, which clearly you've heard about this because you just can't stop yourselves from jumping from one universe to another, except that things are pretty much the same, like like they, they look the same a lot or or different when they need to be different, but it just sort of depends. But don't worry, there's only two universes really that you have to worry about, so... You'll you'll figure it out. I still, you know, we introduced this uh, in DS9. I still don't love the idea of a transporter that's so small you can fit it in a fanny pack that will beam you to another universe. Uh, I just think, you know, we we complained about Deus Ex Machina before. (laughs) Now we're doing something really important like going from one universe to another. We just have a thing that'll do it when you hit a button. Well, it's the only other universe. So, you know, yeah, you just have to make yeah, a we can make that concession. one-way right. transporter. Yeah, I always thought that
1: piece of tech just looked a little odd, like clunky, like a souped-up beer can, you know, mm. or a giant yes button, you know, like from Staples. Yeah, Because, right. I don't know, like with all the tech that they have, like they have really good looking tricorders and things of that nature, you would think it would be, I don't know, techier.
2: I say, you know what, I say take it the opposite way. Make the thing like so big you have to put it in a Samsonite suitcase. Like, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta get out the the little stands like the the pattern enhancers. Like you do, you have to do a whole setup before you can even use it. Make it difficult. <laughs>
1: I think that's... And it can be like Oz. He's like, don't worry about that, man. Pay no attention. Yeah, pay no to attention. Look the <laughs> cartons. You
2: know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit surprised to know. Of course, you know, Beryl is just saying stuff, mirror Beryal is, but uh, no prophets in the mirror universe. They have the orbs, although he's saying like, well, I I don't really get into the whole God thing in my universe. And I I do wonder like, how far do we take the opposite mirror universe thing? So he's not tuned into the whole idea of the prophets, which means then that he's not tuned into the idea of the wormhole. So we have to wonder what is on the other side of the mirror wormhole. Is it mirror Hadar who were just, really nice just
1: like they pick flowers yeah they're, and they're just
2: yeah they're really cool and they're there to lend a hand when you need them
1: yeah you know the mirror universe it, it's it's taken one of two ways either like follow it to the letter or pay, or, or play fast and loose with yeah. it, you know when it comes to the narrative but it's like everything's the same but different like he said but maybe they don't need profits because there isn't a dominion fleet to just wish away <gasps> oh, oh. oh. Too soon. yeah you
2: went there yeah,
1: but it's true though. There's no dominion <laughs> there, right? Yeah. So there's no need for the wormhole aliens or for or for yeah, for that matter, right? You know, right. except for Odo, who was blowed up yeah. and turned into you know blowed up silly putty. Tragic. You know, I love that Cisco and uh, Kira had that that quiet meeting between the two of them because it does ring true that he would say, "Hey, you know what? I understand. I understand what you're going through. I know exactly what's happening to you right now because it happened to me." Yeah. And it's a nice bit of caution and a nice scene saying, like, I'm not going to treat you like a child. I'm going to treat you like an adult. You're an adult. You can make your own decisions. But
2: this is the power that these people in this universe have over us. Right. And I thought that was going to be the most interesting lead off to a fascinating part of the story. We'll. We'll see if we uh, if we got there or not. Also, by the way, I, just a question about how this works. D- does anybody get to have some FaceTime with an orb when they need? Because it seems like everyone would want to be signing up on that wait list for prophecy or wisdom or whatever they need at the moment. But it just seems it seems very easy. Just like, uh, yeah hey, can i can I get in there and uh, have a look at my future? Oh, okay, cool. Here you go. Maybe
1: it's there are. I know I could make light of this, but I won't. Okay. <laughs> but there, there are, I guess, in, in, in uh, certain religious doctrines where if you're, if you're going to take that next step mm. and commit to that faith, there is kind of a ceremony that you do so that you, you can test if someone is really, really going to apply themselves to be a part of that faith. And maybe that's what the orb uh, the orb encounter is. I don't know. I mean, they're pretty, pretty,
2: they pretty quick about it with this guy. So well, he's got the major on his side. Yeah, that's true. Right,
1: that's true. That's I mean, you can get fast tracked when you have somebody like her speaking on your behalf. Yeah. But you know what's neat though? I, I I like that he's kind of like the complete opposite of, you know, the, this, um, well-respected holy man that Vedic Barile was mm-hmm. because he is of the alternate universe, the other only other universe in Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> right, but at least he's not like a psychotic barbarian, like say Julian Bashir was right. in the other universe. Right. You know, he seems well-adjusted, well-educated, very resourceful, although he's, yeah, obviously he's, you know, astray in some way or another, but he's not heavy-handed in his approach of being a mirror universe person. Well, that was you know always
2: I mean? the problem with the mirror universe is if you show up and everybody is trying to stab each other all the time, there's no more mirror universe, so you have to have some people. I mean, they 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 really sort of pulled their punches when we had Jennifer Sisko that first time mm-hmm. around, because uh, or not the first time, but the second time around, because she wasn't really that evil. But at least if you go that direction, you're you're just saying that oh, okay, there are, there are counterparts. There's a variety of uh, personalities over there. So, and and, and I feel like we got that out of this version of Beryl, you know, by the way, just very quickly back to the orb thing, Kira says that the orb experience isn't meant to be shared. That seems like a problem. There's just like there's some really heavy stuff that comes from that, and all, all the other Bajorians sort of wash their hands of it. Like, yeah, okay, I guess you got to deal with that on your own. <laughs> too too bad. Uh, we led you to the orb. We let you see in it, and uh, good luck figuring that out. <laughs> yeah, what, what do these profound visions
1: mean? I don't know. Yeah, I, we I can't talk about you know? that. Yeah. You, you deal with it on it your
2: ju- own. <laughs> it seems like you're going to need somebody to discuss it with you. Like, oh, I don't know. They have a lot of priests and Vedics and people of various religious levels within the Bajoran uh, system. So, right. I, I do want to say that was a very fun scene at dinner with Worf and Dax. Uh, the little bit with the Mechleth. Perfect, perfect way to show, not tell. What's going on there? I, I know that Beryl is telling a story, but the, the story is besides the point. We're showing what the interaction, what the characters, and what the character dynamic is by that little bit of business. I thought that was so good. And also, by the way, pink flan, that's why not okay. I guess. All right, It's the future. It's the flan of the future. It's pink. I liked and thought this scene was weird,
1: and here's why. Mm-hmm. Because it brings up kind of like this Highlander thing with me. We always make fun of, like, immortals trying to hide their weapons in, I don't know, like, T-shirts instead of trench coats. Because they can't wear a trench coat all the time. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, they whip out this giant two-handed sword. So, at dinner, and Worf is wearing, wearing very casual attire. Yeah. Exactly where does he strap his mechlet?
2: <laughs> and it's not a so small that, mechlet. But, that thing is, no, yeah. that
1: thing is like a two-foot sword. So, brows like, oh, is this yours? And Worf didn't feel it get unstrapped from his bent leg underneath a table. I'm like, come on. <laughs> right? I mean, if it was a dagger or something like that, I get it. You know, it's like picking a pocket. But yeah.
2: I, right. I could have pictured it being the smaller Klingon dagger with the little side blades, you know. Yeah, but the mechleth is huge. But
1: why would he why would he have that on his person at dinner?
2: Maybe that is the ceremonial thing when you're serving pink floun. And, and maybe yeah. maybe this Barile knew. It's just like, oh, well, you know, normally he wouldn't have that MacLevon, but we are getting the pink flan, so... I'm going to pull it off the wall. Well, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> you know, when I go to the bathroom right. and show right. But I do like it. It's like, Warf's like,
1: well done. Well played, Barile. Yeah. Yeah, now let's have some blood wine because I dig you, man. You're cool. That, that was again. That was <laughs> it was the
2: perfect scene. It was a perfect way to show, not tell, what their dynamic was going to be. So yeah, that was cool. Um, I, I like the scene in uh, Quark's bar where Barile, you know, like I said, I'm not Vedic Barile, and Quark says a mere technicality. I love, I love. It's the perfect way to work Quark into a story like this that otherwise would not concern him. And I just love how Quark in the twenty fourth century he's setting up the photograph and uh, photo uh, the autograph and photo op session with Barrayel. Sure, the way it should be. Yeah. at a convention. I mean,
1: yeah, You know, you have your copper level, you have mm-hmm. your gold level, and obviously you have your platinum level. Yep, totally. You know, and that's meet the meet the Vedic. But that, you know what I love about when Quark, even in like contractual obligation episodes like this, where he just kind of like has his scene and, and expedites his scene very well. Quark is always consistent. He's always consistent. They write him so well mm-hmm. because he's like, you know what? I'm really good at one of two things, either or both. Either I'm going to make money for myself or I'm going to expose somebody for being the charlatan that they are. Or maybe I can do it both at the same time. I can make money and look the hero. Mm. I could wipe my hands with this. Yeah. Right? Because he did the same thing with Damar, you know, a few episodes ago. He did. He does the same thing here. It's like, hey, you know what? yeah, you're kind of a jerk and you're kind of a charlatan, but it doesn't mean I can't make money off you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, (laughs) speaking of Worf being true to form in this episode Mm -hmm. big time, when Bashir, creepy Bashir, returns true to form as well. (laughs) But when Bashir shows up, Worf just looks at him and he goes, your guilt is quite clear, doctor. (laughs) Oh, yes. yes. There's my Worf. Yes. There's my Worf. That that,
2: that was pretty great. (laughs) the, The payoff, though, I think to that scene... Obviously Bashir is there to, you know, find out what's going on with Kira, but the payoff is the little aside between Dax and Worf, because they've been talking about it too. I mean, come on. Yeah, obviously, obviously. Obviously. I do want to call out a scene that I thought was a little strange. I, I don't know exactly how I feel about the massage scene. Look, I know that Intendant Kira is different from our Kira, and I know that the fun of the mirror universe is we get to play up these aspects like her with kind of hypersexuality and manipulation and all of that. That particular scene though felt really dated. And, and I'm wondering if it also probably would have felt dated in 1997 And, and maybe, maybe it doesn't have so much to do with the content of the scene. It's just that it's such a movie and TV trope at this point that we see it coming from a mile away. And I I feel like I wanted that scene to be a little more clever. Uh, Like if you were to rewrite it, I would want a much different reaction out of that security guard. We just kind of gives that like goofy smile. Like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to do this now. And I, I I just, I wanted better of that scene.
1: I agree. I think that if, if any scene really stuck out like a sore thumb, it would be this scene because, First of all, the security guard seems like he's competent. He asks her for her clearance, mm-hmm. which is uh, his order to do. So he's doing his job. But all of a sudden, she she literally changes her personality midstream. Yeah. And the security guard would be like, this is a major Kira that I have never seen before in the entirety of me working on this station. Perhaps the briefing that we had... From the last two appearances of the Intendant may clue me into it in my security briefings from Odo, mm-hmm. as I have been trained on this station. Right, maybe.
2: Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It was just awesome. Um, and then let, let's talk about that final scene with uh, Breyel and Kira and Kira uh, after he's stunned. <laughs> Intendant Kira <laughs> sounds like a law firm. Breyel Kira Kira, Kira, Kira Kira. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, yes. He he tells Kira, you know, I've talked my way back into her good graces before. I'll be all right. That, that's it? Like you, your whole mission, your whole purpose in her eyes was this one moment. You had one job, and then you shot your boss. I, I don't think there's talking your way out of this one. But given, I would love to be there for that conversation. I think it'll be short, but I would love to be there for that conversation. Yeah, that
1: also stuck out a little weird to me because yes, we we they established that Barile and the Intendant have a relationship of sorts. It doesn't seem like it's on solid ground; it seems very tenuous. You mm-hmm. know, kind of like a tit for tat type. of I can't say that again. <laughs> sure, relationship again, <get> <laughs> uh, but it is. It's it's yeah. a, a give and take relationship. Like you know, you do this for me; I do this for you. It's it's uh it's very telltale of the mirror universe. But he does ruin like this master plan. Yeah. They used all these resources, this, you know, this multi-dimensional transporter device which is obviously hard to get mm-hmm. or hard to procure. And he just ends the plan because it, so it, that's that's what he does. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know about like I, I don't know what he's done to like, you know, to garner that kind of immunity from, you know, the the so-called leader of, you know, the alliance. Yeah. In the mirror universe but you know the mirror universe is like a box of chocolates you never know what you're gonna get
0: if this is how mirror beryl turned out i worry about other mirror bajorans like kai win and those people shouting at the cloud
2: we will get right back to resurrection in a moment but first a word from well from us to you about Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log. You know, as of this episode coming out, there are a lot of changes in store at Patreon. So, a lot of the people who have been our supporters there will find a lot of new features and exciting new merchandise. And the people who have not joined us yet at Patreon, well, they're going to find a whole lot to engage them.
1: One of the things that we've always said, John, and we've really kind of uh, cultivated a great community uh, with our Patreon listeners and subscribers. and. They're so very supportive of us and uh, we get great interaction on like the Patreon feedback, but we also want to know like, what are we doing for you and what we do better. So it's always fantastic for you to stay in touch with us, to foster the community and to, and to spread the word of what we do at Patreon because more and more people, I think just continue to need that, uh, that connective tissue between all of us, especially still when we're in this lockdown and, uh, to, to share our, our Star Trek fandom. I mean, that's what it's all about now. And, and
2: you really use the right word, Norman, community. That's really what we feel like we've built there. And uh, we hope that you join us, because I think you're going to be pleased and surprised by what's happening. Again, that address is patreon.com slash mission log. And we do thank you for your support. Well,
1: John, it's time to get a little bit more into the, the depth of this episode and to, I don't know, resurrect certain... Oh. Feelings that we have about the oh, movies Oh, all right. Hey, ho, oh, hey, I fit yeah. in.
2: Hey, I, I mean, in. look, right, right off the bat, I mean, but before you get into your discussion points and mine, I, I will say this. I want to give them props for doing a Mirror Universe episode that is not in the Mirror Universe. Because we, we haven't really, up until this point in Star Trek, we haven't had that. So at least we're going to turn the tables a little bit and force these characters... I think that gives us a bit more focus that we usually don't have when we're in the mirror universe because it's just all chaos all the time. Well, I mean, what I liked about the start of
1: this episode was that you knew that Beryl is coming from the alternate universe and you somewhat buy into this, this person who's trying to find some type of redemption. But... Do you buy it all the way or does it completely fall apart when the intended shows up? Because for me, I think that it was a much stronger story before she showed up, because you allowed him to be this person who's escaped the alternate universe, the mirror universe, and has come here to try and actually do better, to do what most refugees do when they escape you know, the, the terrible situation that they're in, to try and establish a better life. So at the very beginning, the question that I had was when I was watching him uh, go through the machinations of why he was there, do we buy – gosh, that's so Kirk. I don't <laughs> know why. It <laughs> it, it, it
2: perfectly fit. So okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Do we buy – and I'm going to call him Pretender, much like Gooey Bashir mm-hmm. was yeah. Bashir. Pretender this Pretend, Burial. This is Pretender like barile. Yeah. Did we buy his sincerity at the beginning? Do we buy it off the bat? Or – Was he crafted in a way
2: where you knew that something else was at play? Mm -hmm. You know what? Maybe it's just me. Uh, I had not seen this episode before reviewing it for Mission Log. And the first time I watched it, I did buy it. I did. And maybe because I wanted to, that I wanted to see a mirror universe story where there is somebody who's desperate to get out from the other end. Because this goes back to the conversation we were just having in the last segment a little bit to say not everybody in the mirror universe can all be the same thing. There, there, there have to be other motivations. There have to be other personality types other than just um, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your position and try to ascend uh, to a higher rank, higher position without getting killed myself. So I wanted to buy that from the beginning. And I figured that if anybody was going to be able to turn anybody or, or help them assimilate, I it would have to be Kira. So, you know, we're already setting up kind of the right circumstances for this to happen. But this story is called Resurrection. It's not called Redemption. <laughs> so mm-hmm. by the time we yeah. get to the reveal and we have Intendant Kira – it went a bit off the rails for me. I apologize if I'm jumping ahead too much here. I, I think we'll come back to it in a bit more succinctly in the next segment. Um, but I feel like that was a lost opportunity because then it just suddenly changed everything. It's like, oh, okay, they are mustache-twirling villains. Here's what they're up to. Maybe we'll hold out some hope for some level of redemption at the end here. But... What actually will we get? At? How impactful will that be? Well, I think that resurrection is, in, uh, you know, it's an apropos
1: title, but I think that it actually plays its hand a little early because when you see Barile appear in Ops, it's it's you know it's um it's a little too clean yeah. that the first person that he encounters is Kira. Yeah. It's almost like the plan is too perfect, and like of course, Kira would be the person that he would hold hostage, and that they would have this very in- intense emotional, you know, uh, beginning to their relationship. As as she's trying to figure out, like, who is he? Why is he? And he has all of these same features and same characteristics as the man that I was in love with. Like her, her heart of hearts, her, her core, the cores, if yeah, you will. Yeah. And and it's like that just seems a little too clean for me, and it just. He didn't seem desperate enough that he was escaping this, you know, this, uh, uh, the, the alternate universe of that, that, that desperate, dark, bleak, you know, atmosphere that anyone would like, they would sacrifice anything and betray anybody to leave.
2: It it is a bit of the purely manufactured dramatic reveal. Like I've called it up before on our show where, um, you know, you have a couple of characters talking. In a room about somebody else or about some important information that involves somebody else. That other person is like, you know, a hundred feet away and they enter the room, the door opens as if they have just heard that important part of that conversation. It just purely manufactured for that moment. There's no way that person heard what was going on. And here we have, you know, Worf is there in ops. Nobody's got a weapon drawn. There's no, yeah, yeah. There's no sort of like uh, uh, force field or protective measures when this sudden transporter beam just kicks in. It just happens to be Kira walking up. Yeah, Kira can take care of herself. Kira's tough, but... They just sort of allowed themselves to walk into that situation,
1: yeah, it just seemed a little too fortuitous for my taste, but you know this is uh, this is contrivance, I guess that we're going to have to accept or not you know about this episode, but you know resurrection again, like I said, it was an apropos title because it does resurrect those feelings in Kira that gives Barile the benefit of the doubt, yeah. and that's a concession and a contrivance that we have to accept in order for their story to move forward. And I get that. I just wish that they played him a little bit more desperate, and I wish he looked just a little bit more haggard, mm-hmm. looking like he has given up everything or, like, spent his last bar of latinum or said goodbye to his last friend and said, I risked everything to get here. But the whole thing was a little too tongue-in-cheek for me. I don't know if it came that off that way for you at first yeah. or, or in subsequent viewings. But the other thing that I found interesting was kind of like his turn for faith, turn towards faith, I should say. Because it it just, like, I don't know why this was important to him. I don't know why it was important for him to show Kira. And it just, for me, felt like she was falling into this master plan of his to manipulate her for another purpose. I didn't feel it was a genuine turn for him. Maybe I was just being completely suspicious about his motives the entire time. But what did you think about that? Did you buy into that?
2: Well, so it's interesting. The the part of it that I did buy was that there is a profound moment when he looks into the orb— of prophecy. Because whatever happens there, it affects, you know, we have that conversation, the follow-up the next day, and Kira's saying like, yeah, people look at the orb and they have these really interesting, really deep experiences that then it takes time to get over. So I don't doubt that just doing that was something profound for this barile. I think it's interesting to kind of walk through this idea that this Berial is able to use the appearance of faith to gain the confidence of Kira. That could have been—we don't know what all this Beryal has read. We know that he read about Vedic Berial, but we don't know prior to even coming there what kind of intel did he have about Berial or about the Bajorans in general or about the prophets. He could have been playing dumb about any kind of spiritual experience or knowledge In his universe, but I think it's you know the insidious thing that is very interesting about this barile is that he can use emotional manipulation on Kira. Uh, I mean, they they wake up together the next morning. They've (laughs) they they've had all night together, and he can Mm -hmm. also use this sort of spiritual manipulation, which I think plays. Very true. Even if you don't believe that his motivations there are honest and pure, the other read on this, that his motivation is essentially, and I know I'm using the term not quite correctly, but the virtue signal of, hey, look at me. I'm going to the temple with you. I'm deeply interested and invested in your religion. I'm overwhelmed and overcome with the possibilities of your faith. All of this plays right into Kira, who has very strong spiritual beliefs, very strong faith. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, either way, you can look at this as being even more insidious that he would use that to manipulate her. Or you could say, well, he genuinely has an interest there. He genuinely is moved by what he's seen, but he just can't help himself but to follow through with his programming in a sense of why he's there.
1: And I, I accept the fact that, that he was doing this almost honestly or, or came by this turn honestly, right up until like the intendant appeared because it seemed like he was trying to figure out and work out something for himself. He was, you know, he was a stranger to the station. He was stranger to this universe. He actually found the one person that he does recognize because Mm -hmm. of the intendant and wants to fall into her good graces and knows how to do that to resurrect if you will like again those feelings about Vedic Barail her Vedic yeah. Barail but one thing that i think that would have made his turn a little bit more uh, believable and and uh, something that i would i would see as being true or ringing true was when he stared at the orb and the orb like fundamentally changed yeah. him because it's that powerful you know having that uh, the celestial technology of the prophets to be able to manipulate him and show him the truth of who he is, who he can be, and then obviously that weighing on him so heavily that it it bothered him to the core when he was at Corks, And I I felt that if, if it were just about him, it would have just rang far more true as a narrative than just, I'm biding my time, until my partner in crime shows up so we can twirl our mustaches, so to speak, together. I
2: I wonder, you know, the more we talk about this, I, I wonder, like, this is one of those strange ones where this story does not merit being two parts. You know, thank goodness it's only one episode. But all this really deep, interesting... Emotional, spiritual manipulation, these questions about his true motivations, how much is he actually moved by what he's seen? How difficult is this choice for him? It seems like with a little longer to play with, maybe this episode needed 10 or 15 minutes more to actually see some struggle in him to get to that point.
1: That's what I wanted to say. Yes, that's a great way of phrasing it. Just a little bit more of some type of internal conflict Mm -hmm. Where you know he sees, obviously, the opportunity that he needs that he's manufactured with Kira now on his side versus I am really changing. I am really invested yeah. in this. There's something about her and there's something about this newfound spirituality that is reprogramming me from my primary mission to get this orb and to, and to facilitate this ruse in order for me to do what I need to yeah. do. And that's where... That's where this episode is somewhat Disconnecting for me It's like I just don't get on that level Yeah And and I, and I wish I did Because I think that It's there It's just not connecting for me But one thing that does though And I, and I think that this is one of those Like I guess it's a, a, a subtle thread that That runs throughout all of these types of episodes mm-hmm. Is that hope Is a dangerous universal force And the episode, I'm sorry, the uh, the moment where Cisco talks about that with Kira and how seeing his Jennifer in the flesh, again, how that was so impactful and powerful and uh, emotionally overwhelming, you can't but help to kind of question, what if we saw somebody in our lives that returned in some way? And I will get to that later on. But for Kira, it's very much like how maybe Odo felt about, linking with the founder like there's just this this reality that's so overwhelming emotionally that you can't quite determine whether or not you want to believe it accept it or keep your keep a distance yeah from it because you know that sooner or later you know that that reality is going to hurt you what if it doesn't See that, and the risk that, that you This take? is
2: so funny. It was my, my note is similar, but not the same as yours. And I, I phrased it under you can't go home again because this, this is like the worst version of getting back together with your ex. Yeah. So they, they've changed mm-hmm. a little. I mean, in this case, they're literally from a different universe now and they're evil, but they're still charming and somehow they do something for you. So... There's that. <laughs> you have this sort of unintended bond there. Um, I, I feel like if there was an interesting angle to mine out of Kira's experience with Barail, it was in it would be found in that really believable, genuine way that she was falling for him. You know, at dinner, after dinner, the next morning, et cetera, and, and um, prefaced by Cisco's warning. That that really is the warning. It's like like, yeah. Look, a don't get back together with your ex, and b especially if they're from the evil murderous alternate universe. <laughs> like let, let's just let's set up some uh, some ground rules here. She heard the warning. But she didn't heed it because love is a powerful thing. Our emotions override Mm -hmm. that logical thought process, especially when it comes down to something as all-consuming as love. And and, uh, to sympathize here a bit with Kira, I mean, her... Her great love and burial was taken away from her in this incredibly tragic circumstance that is such a powerful motivator. What if you got to have that one more opportunity, that one more conversation chance to actually be with them again? So that loss is incredibly powerful. And that hint of a promise that you can recover what you've lost, so powerful for her that's what I wanted to see even more of because we really just cut very quickly to, well, we're waking up together and making, you know, jokes about food (laughs) so it it didn't feel as powerful as it really could have we we can sit here and infer the emotion that was behind it but i think there was more to mine in a dramatic potentially dramatic episode like this i was very interested in seeing how she was going to square that whole thing and uh how she was becoming very vulnerable around him and what that would do to her but i i just feel like we didn't go there not not as deeply as we could have
1: yeah, I wanted to see her question like a little bit more, like internally question, like what exactly is it that she sees and what does she want from this? Mm-hmm. Because we know that Kira is and has been over the course of the last couple seasons become more emotionally guarded when it comes to relationships. Obviously, the relationship with Shakar and knowing that there was disappointment there. Obviously, the relationship with Odo and the dynamic that they're still working through. Her being able to to wholesale accept barile now back into her life. I wanted to see her struggle with that a little bit more. like in that scene when they woke up together, like, you know, he when he said that this must be off putting for you, and I'm paraphrasing and she goes, It is. And I'm I'm trying to accept the fact that this is different, but I can't help but when I see you, when I smell you, when mm-hmm. I just look at you in such a way where you have the exact same expressions, when I steal away those moments yes that I used to have and see you exactly the same way. That's hard for me. Yeah. You know, but I'm trying to accept that you're different and I'm trying to accept that this is different, but we just didn't see that. And we didn't let that breathe enough in yeah. this episode where she's, she's trying to reconcile these concessions that she's making with the, uh, you know, with that warning that Cisco planned at dinner and trying to make sense of it yeah. all
2: and and that's the the emotionally interesting uncovered ground in this episode what we switch to is the the plot driven kind of redemption story where we end up at the end and i want to ask you is there really a redemption story here you know we think about that final scene which is really you know rewatching the episode a few times and kind of looking at the timeline progress until we get to the end i, I kept thinking wow they just They really zoomed right through those moments at the tail end of the show. But we had that final moment with Beryl and Kira and other Kira. And what we've seen of Intendant Kira is that she has no problem manipulating, torturing, or killing people when it suits her needs. I'm not sold on the idea that Beryl would survive much longer after she regains consciousness. And and sure, he may have changed a bit, but we'll never know if that has any payoff. You know, we've been led so far by Star Trek to believe that the mirror universe basically just stays evil all the time because that's how it is, even when there's a positive influence over there. So I, I wonder if the attempt to do some kind of redemption at the end of this just feels like too little too late.
1: Well, I think what we were looking for, uh, you and I, I think we're on the same page. And what we were looking for was that, that moment of gravitas, that moment where what did these characters learn, what was sacrificed, and what could have been avoided. And I think that you're dealing with a very serious topic here when it comes to extending yourself emotionally and letting those walls down and, and you know coming from behind that guarded situation where I don't want to be hurt again. Mm-hmm. But then I allow this person, for the sheer sake that this person reminds me so strongly of somebody that I loved before, into my life again. And now I am hurt again. And it's glossed over very quickly. And none of our characters really feel like that has impacted them in any meaningful way, you know, positively or negatively. It's just, oh, well, hit the button, everything goes back to normal. No, Kira, I think, deserves better than that. From a character development standpoint And she should have said you know what it would have been Nice if she and Cisco had that scene where It's like you were right You were right right and I learned From that but we don't have that That resolution at the end of this episode Where whatever happened No one really suffered Any serious Consequence for any of their actions Whatsoever and it left The episode feeling Very vanilla for me in that regard
0: This rate, going to end from the mirror universe is so easy. Someone on the promenade is probably selling Acme mirror universe back and forth. You laters get a free jump, just stick with every purchase.
1: Well, we've actually worked through a lot of the emotional catharsis of this episode, John, and I think that we've come to a, a pretty similar. Um, a pretty similar level of understanding uh, where our morals and meanings and messages and how this episode wraps up between the two of us. But let's dig into it a little bit. Let's see like where we landed and if we have any uh, profound final thoughts, maybe more profound than the episode actually ended. But I think that uh, by the time that we're done discussing this, we'll have a a far more rounded uh, understanding of, of resurrection. What do you say? Yes.
2: Yeah. Resurrection, the episode. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Not
1: yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Resurrection. The episode. The other one is far yes. more esoteric for us to discuss. Yeah, not, not just
2: generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I mean, look, th- this. I, I feel like we've been pretty critical here, but I think our criticism is well placed as we talk about w- what is the episode actually trying to do, what is the story they're actually trying to tell, and the reason that I feel any sense of being torn about this episode is, is that. With DS9 so far, that show, I've said it before, does a better job of looking at deep character issues than really any Trek before it. We've grown to really care about everybody here. And for the most part, they have relationships that add some depth or have some sort of payoff the longer that we see them. Uh, I'll withhold judgment about Worf and Dax right now, okay? (laughs) Um, So here we are with Kira, who has grown enormously over the last five and a half seasons and i I think we genuinely care about her and there was an opportunity here to really get into the pain of loss the universal desire to relive a good memory the disappointment of realizing that you can't recreate the past and this episode barely got into that and then it just turned into more mirror universe shenanigans We got our mustache twirling villains again. It became a game of who's going to sell out or kill whom. And we're just sort of waiting for that moment, that dramatic resolution at the end. I'm glad we got some attempt at at a redemption for Mirror Burial, though I'll I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, But it felt like an afterthought because, again, we're telling two different stories here in this one story. I'm... More curious now about how he navigates the Mirror Universe. Is he intended to be a Mirror Spock type who tries to start a revolution? We won't know because the, the the story instead just decided to wrap up with the plot issues rather than the more compelling character issues. In the end, it's not that it's a particularly bad episode. It's just a question of why are we telling this particular story right now? And what should we get out of it? Uh, because I feel like we've we've done the interesting Kira character dives, and if we're going to do that again, we need to make it even more. We need to really go there with the emotional depth that we're trying to plumb, and that's not happening in this one. They started it, and they just said, "Yeah, we're going to do mirror universe stuff. Here's the big change, the big reveal, and then we're done." Mm-hmm. So it's it's unfortunate. You know, completely stripped of context, this episode may work okay. But when you put it in the context of how much we've already seen emotionally from the characters, and we've just had these big epic storylines, I feel like it's misplaced. So it's hard for me to make a strong recommendation of it. How about
1: you? Well, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying here when it comes to uh, where where is this momentum that we 've built with Kira up until this point, and especially kind of like the the emotional trauma that she has gone through with odo, where do we place that and it wasn 't placed well here and I think that the best description uh, a critique if you will, a compliment if you will because it's it's it 's fairly neutral when when i 'm thinking about this is the best way I can describe this episode is that it is serviceable it it is a very much a paint by numbers type of episode. And it started off being so much more than that, but it ended up becoming just that. No more, no less, really. And in that sense, it, it, it holds up because there's nothing really egregiously wrong with the episode. It's very utilitarian in the way that it presents the story. It just doesn't really evoke a lot of strong reactions where it could have. In in many ways, it's probably a great first draft of an episode that could have gone somewhere really emotionally powerful. And I love that we get Kira back as a focus for an episode... But do we, though? Because the Intendant kind of steals her thunder. A lot of people love watching these Mirror Universe characters for the villainy and the depravity that they show on screen, allowing these actors to act in a certain way that they never get a chance to see. But we've seen this already multiple times with the Intendant and it steals away the the time that we could have used for Kira and Boreal to really have tried to find something between themselves. And yeah. for Boreal's ultimate betrayal to be on his terms and not the machinations of the Intendant who now is uh, forever, I guess, associated with the ultimate mirror universe villain for the Deep Space Nine universe. So when mm-hmm. it was just him, I'm interested. Or at least I was interested. He was manipulating Kira, for reasons that needed to be his. And he knew how to apply those pressure points because he has Barile's face. He has Barile's voice. He has everything that he needs to manipulate Kira, but it's not him manipulating Kira. It's the Intendant using him to manipulate Kira. And that's where I think the the writing really kind of falls apart for me. I also think that the episode suffers a little bit from just going into the Mirror Universe well, like one too many times. Did it have to be a Mirror Universe episode? What if Barile was from an actual other universe? (laughs) Yeah, right. Because the the other, other, other universe, right. Or why use the mirror universe at all? Why not have him simply be a physical doppelganger that Kira can't help but shake because he looks just like Barile? There are plenty of people that have lookalikes that are of the same universe of the same time plane. And that could have worked just as well. So for me, it's just a very vanilla episode with
2: an occasional chocolate sprinkle here or two. (laughs) That's that's good. That's a very very tasty way to put it. Uh, What about messages, morals, meanings?
1: Well, I think that the message was revealed really early on in the episode. I said before that this episode played its hand uh, earlier than it should have. It's when Sisko was warning Kira about how the alternate version of Vedic Barail could and, and did in some ways have a very serious and profound effect on her, especially her judgment, much like Jennifer did with Sisko when she reappeared. Mm. But when I watched this several times and I kind of let that idea percolate a little bit and, and sit with me, When I really thought about it, just think how emotionally overwhelming it would be to see someone from your life return in the flesh and somewhat different, but more or less the same. So I was thinking about it in this way, knowing that, you know, this comes from the same team that did The Visitor. I was Mm -hmm. thinking about my dad. And what if I saw someone, the doppelganger of my dad, walk through the door? And I know that's not him. It can't be him but this person looks the same and sounds the same and laughs the same and does Mm -hmm. almost every mannerism in that exact same way for all intents and purposes. This person physically is my dad, but what happens when we're around each other enough to know that that's not true. Do I begin projecting everything that I felt for all this time onto this person and try and mold him in a way where he becomes this, this version of, a, of, of my dad that, that I've missed all this time. What does that do to that person? You know, all yeah. of that emotional baggage that I put on this person. Is it fair to them? Is what Kira would have felt for Burial fair to this new barile? And if this person leaves my life again, will I be worse off emotionally knowing that I've lost the person that I love most in this world twice? What does that right. do to a person? So, yes, we know that the Mirror Universe is pure fantasy. There are no doppelgangers coming through any portal for us to be given a second chance of happiness, like I've mentioned. But I think that maybe the Mirror Universe in Deep Space Nine has just played a little too fast and loose with the repercussions of what actually could happen. And the people that you love or are in love with, they will, when they're gone, they never come back, right? So yeah. what happens when they do? And I think that in this episode, the opportunity was lost to really show what
2: could have happened. So what you're saying is they've never really faced death.
1: Well, they've cheated death, and they've patted <laughs> themselves on the back for their ingenuity, <laughs> but no.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I think you, you get it, and we're, we're really saying the same thing here about the emotional missed opportunity because, it, look, we did it with Jennifer Sisko, we we just we introduced this idea of her and that she would have some effect on uh Jake, certainly, and on Ben. But then she's gone. We just have to get rid of that whole idea and move on to another story. And here we have this other opportunity to really get into some emotional depth and figure out, well, what does this do to somebody, particularly when that person can then use that advantage to uh to manipulate an outcome that they want. Um and that idea doesn't have to just be purely fantasy. It can actually say something about the danger of letting our emotions lead when it comes to a potentially unhealthy situation. But the episode didn't go there enough, and and I think we're both lamenting this idea that they didn't. They just they they scratched the surface on it. There was the idea there, but they didn't truly go there. Um, so I'm going to take it a little bit different direction for the message. And, and I will say this, that even if I don't love this episode and I feel like it's just full of missed opportunities to actually push our characters forward or to finally do something interesting with the Mirror Universe, I will give them credit for doing a nice parallel, potentially, hear me out, <laughs> to Mirror Mirror and landing on a positive, very Star Trek message in the end. Maybe. So Mirror Burial is, I'm going to go with this idea, like the Mirror Spock in this episode. He's the one possible hope that we have for making the Mirror Universe a less terrible place. Burial could change the present. He could be the revolutionary man with a vision if Kira doesn't kill him. That's the big problem here. Um, It's a nurture versus nature story in this uh or or honestly in any mirror universe story really and nurture wins out i think this time that's the very star trek message that i want to see that no matter how bad someone is that given the right conditions and the right environment and the right people around they can be better than they themselves believe so that that very last part Maybe I'm seeing way too much into it, but that last part had me being hopeful and optimistic a little bit. Barile, kind of, he he undermines that by saying, I'm a thief, I belong with her, even after getting a glimpse of a better life through the orb. Now look, we all know that he can't stay in the Prime Universe with Kira, so we have to hope that he learns something and he makes the best of it when he gets back into his own universe. Well, look, he's got some decisions to make when he gets back to that mirror universe. If he lives, which, as of yet, I'm not convinced of, but we can cross our fingers and hope for the best. Mr. Champion, I shall consider it.
1: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
2: On the next Mission Log, statistical probabilities.
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Since we've clearly mastered the nuances of interdimensional travel, hear me out on the next big idea, intended repellent. End transmission.